What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Onyx Report. Black masculinist news for the day. Hope everybody's well. Shout out to the brothers who uh, came through early. Good Christopher. Indigo, what's up? Got Ron in the building. Toxic masculinist. <laughs> Beehive. Brandon, what's good with you, man? Says repping the mental set. Appreciate that. Uh, Aaron. Layman's Journal, man. Just checked you out a little minute ago, man. Brother's still doing his quality work. Y'all check out Layman's Journal if you haven't already. Become a member, support the channel. Uh, let me see. F Holiday, what's up? Got Ray. I'm listening. Eclectic Agitator. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Uh, Jafar, what's up? Better you. Indigo. Growth Talk with Kofa. Y'all support Growth Talk with Kofa. So what's up with you, man? Black Pill Philosophy, what's up? Dead Set, what's happening, man? You let me know your time, man. If you can pop in today, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to have you. So let me know if you feel like it uh, or if you got to do it at another time. It's all good. All right. uh, better You, yes, I do. You have a book coming out very soon. Um, so, yeah, the link is actually in the description box if you want to check it out. Um, so, you know, that's what's up. Cool. Uh, let me see. Let me see. Shout out to Leon. Appreciate that support. Definitely follow his example. Like, share, uh, subscribe, join, and donate. Support the channel so we can continue to bring you this independent blackmail thought. So you can do so um, in all kinds of various ways. Right? You got uh, Cash App right there. You got Venmo. You got PayPal. And of course, you can become a patron on Patreon. You can support the toxic. The, the, I was about to call it the toxic. I don't give a damn. Call it what you know. If, it's, if they consider it toxic, it is what it is. Support the Onyx Report right here on YouTube. You can also support the Institute for Black Male Studies. Go to instituteforblackmalestudies.com and check that out. And you can also support the Onyx TV network. All you gotta do is go ahead and check it out on Android, iPhone, Amazon Fire TV, or Roku. Support the channel as well. Or become a patron and support all of it. So, you know, check it out. Do what you will. Um, let me see. I'm going to shoot you dead set. I'm going to shoot you the link. Uh, I'm not going to bring you up uh, right away. I want to cover a few things. But I will go ahead and send you the link via Facebook. So let me make sure I have the right link for you. Yeah, there you go. Everybody got two or three names on social media. It's not always easy to keep up, but I think I got you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, come on up uh, when you're ready, and I'll bring you through. All right. So, we got Ragnarok Gaming, Vince, Marcos. All right. So, appreciate y'all coming through. We can get through a few things because I want to deal with this whole issue of policy. Now, I can tell you, I am not, nor have I ever been, a highly political person, meaning that, um, you know, I'm not one of these people whose content is all, all about politics and always has been. No. I came to this conclusion about paternity researching the history, researching what's been going on with black men. And I came to the conclusion that policy has played a significant role in where we find ourselves and the nature of the environment we're in. 
So it's not something that I've, you know, come to in advance and I'm trying to get you guys on this political train. No, I just, you know, looking over the history, looking over the status, the state of our affairs, the state of, of the black family in particular, I realized the power of policy. And so when we put together the black male political agenda, it wasn't because, you know, I'm necessarily trying to start a political party. It was really a first stab at articulating what it is that we need and not something that others tell us we need and not something that others tell us we should want. And I've even seen this with black female politicians, uh, hell, even family members that want to just tell you what you should tolerate, what you should accept and what you should want. But rarely have I seen black men actually sit down and articulate what black men need. Now, understand, I'm not saying what the community needs. I've heard that my whole life. Black men will sit down and talk about the community in a heartbeat. But when you actually start asking them, what do black men need politically? You'd be surprised how few conversations you find, especially before the advent of the manosphere. Very black manosphere to be particular, to be clear, right? Very few. And we don't always delineate between the two, even to this day. We talk about community. We talk about, hell, even country. But when you ask black men what black men need politically, whole different conversation. And we usually rely on very generic talking points. You know, things that will ultimately benefit everybody. That's the kind of shit we do. But when you start to get granular and say, no, 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 what policies do black men need? It's quiet. So the black male political agenda, which I've just put in the link again, is just, a, you know, it's an opportunity to gather ideas from black men about what kind of policies we actually need. And it's designed to engender a dialogue between us about what we need. And from there, we craft action. We craft what, what direction we want to go in and how, you know? But at the end of the day, it has to start with this whole kind of framework that we have not gotten used to, which is really centered around determining our needs. Shout out to BGS Edmore. Did a great show a little bit earlier about uh, uh, male relationship, emotional labor. He inspired me to jump back into the topic, so I might have to do that. But uh, check that out if you haven't had to already or if you haven't had the chance to. You know, so shout out to BGS. What's up, Donnie? So I wanted to kind of start by framing it that way because in a moment you're going to see how impactful this stuff can be. And the reality is when you're dealing with issues of policy, they don't get resolved except by policy advancements, policy development. It, it is what it is. It is what it is. Policy issues don't get dismissed until you address policy. I don't care how much of a man you are. I don't care how, you know, how much you can puff your chest out, how much you can, you know, whatever. All of these kind of statements I've heard over the last few years about how we just need to man up and everything will fall in place. That's not how policy works. Even if you look at it, slavery was policy. That was policy. So every time we talk about how we don't need policy and we just need to man up, that's, that's such a profound disrespect to your very own ancestors who stayed alive by doing whatever they had to do. But there was never just this kind of man up kind of attitude. They, they negotiated the environment they were in with intelligence, with strategy, with consistency, tenacity, will and sacrifice, especially men, black men, sacrifice was what it was and they did it for their own survival and the survival of their own children and families 
was never a question about whether or not we were men. We know in terms of ethnologists, they didn't consider us men. They didn't consider us human. But at the end of the day, we had to sustain our own humanity amongst each other. And that was a time period where you actually had black families that would contribute to that. I would argue that's not the same to, at this current moment. And a lot of that is a product of policy as well. But what am I talking about? Well, let's start with this. So this I just ran across very recently. All right. You can find this right, on abc7.com. California bill aimed at protecting LGBTQ plus youth encourages parents to affirm their children's gender identity, right? Now, what does that have to do anything, to do with anything, especially in regard to the black community? Well, let's check it out, right? So this is coming out of Sacramento. And y'all know how I like to do it. I like to have Snoop uh, help us out. So I'm going to give Snoop a chance to read some of this. Y'all give me a one in the chat if you can hear him. Let's check it out. California Assembly Judiciary Committee advanced a bill Tuesday aimed at protecting LGBTQ plus youth that encourages parents to affirm their child's gender identity. Assembly Bill 957, also known as the TGI Transgender, Gender Diverse, and Intersex Youth Empowerment Act, was created by Assemblywoman Lori D. Wilson D. Susan City. The initial legislation said courts deciding custody cases must consider whether each parent affirmed the child's gender. AB 957 encourages parents who support their TGI children by making it clear that affirming the child's gender identity is part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child. It also allows courts to consider a parent's affirmation of their child's gender identity when making decisions about visitation and custody. Okay. And last two sentences are key, right? AB 957 encourages parents who support their TGI children by making it clear that affirming a child's gender identity is part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child. It also uh, courts, it, excuse me, it also allows courts to consider a parent's affirmation of their child's gender identity when making decisions about visitation and custody. Right? These advertisements are killing me, boy. All right, so um, they continue. And I want you to kind of imagine how this would break down in the everyday black family if you have a child going through that system the judge has discretion like they do looking at the totality of circumstances related to the health safety and welfare of a child to consider different factors said wilson who's the mother of a trans child one of the factors not the factor but one of the factors would be the parent's affirmation of a child's gender identity the bill will also require courts to strongly consider that affirming a child's gender identity is in the best interest of the child when one parent doesn't consent to a child's legal name change to conform with the child's gender identity. It would also classify parents in custody battles as abusive if they refuse to affirm their child's gender identity. We're seeing that this group in particular is being targeted and it's hurtful, said Wilson. It's painful in recognizing that this is such a small subset of our population. It is a minority part of our population, and we have people who have power who are targeting such a vulnerable portion of our population. According to the, the Trevor Project, 45% of LGBTQ plus youth considered attempting suicide in the past year. More than half of them identify as transgender and non-binary. Okay, so we see it going from there. Um, let me see. All right, let's go through this. I wasn't going to, but let's do it. However... There are grassroots organizations that oppose this law all over the state. There is no nuance in this bill. It matters not the age of the child, the absurdity of the identity, adopted comorbid mental health issues or persistence, said Aaron Friday, an attorney who spoke during Tuesday's hearing. 
Another woman said she was a concerned parent who told the committee she was concerned about the mental health of our children. I'm against this bill. She said it will be up to the judge to determine how gender affirming or supportive of gender and identity of parent is. Right. I think this was that first part was really key. Right. There's no nuance to the bill. Matters not the age of the child, the absurdity of the identity, adopted comorbid mental health issues or persistence. Right. So I'm really not talking about what happens with this extremely small population of the community. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is how this can be used when it comes to child custody issues. That's my curiosity. That's one of the things that I'm raising questions about. It's not whether or not the kid is actually going through this process. It's what some mothers would be willing to do. And let's be real. It's overwhelming, overwhelmingly going to be mothers. By and large, you know, when you look at the gender breakdown of parents in regard to this whole question of gender identity, it tends to be mothers that go along with it. You often see fathers that raise questions about it. It's not universal. It's not 100 percent, but more often than not. And I can see this being one of many tools used against fathers, particularly black fathers, as a way of keeping custody, even if mothers are willing to go so far as to ask their children to, to, to fabricate or accept her fabrication of a gender identity issue as a means of getting custody. You tell me if I'm just imagining things, right? Last sentence says the committee also discussed possible amendments to the bill and now heads the California State Senate for a vote. So ultimately, the way I see this, you know, possibly going down is that at the end of the day, if a child has any kind of LGBTQ plus, you know, issues as far as their identity is concerned, the parent that demonstrates more support than the other is more likely to get custody. This is become this is not the only factor they say, but it's going to become a factor. I think this is going to put men and fathers in, you know, it's going to put fathers in a position where their whole bid for custody is going to be in many ways centered around this. This is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about policy. See, if this kind of thing passes, and this is California, right? So how many other states follow suit? We won't know if this goes through. But if it does, as this article is dated June 13th, so as y'all can see yesterday, fairly recent, right? This lets you know what kinds of things can be coming, most particularly at fathers when it comes to their custody issues. And this is something fathers have been grappling with for gener- you know, decades, really, trying to get custody, trying to deal with policies that don't think about them at all. And as a matter of fact, have gone out their way to empower mothers more so than fathers, leaving fathers in a very vulnerable situation, right? So um, that's one of the things I wanted to get up. And, and you know, I have a, quite a bit to go through. I didn't plan to do it this way, but I'm gonna bring in dead set because I want Deadset to talk to a little bit uh, of, to a few of these things we bring up and then we're gonna get to his situation. So let me go ahead and bring him in. Deadset, can you hear me? Yes, sir. What's good with you, man? Oh, I'm listening to, well, actually I saw your graduation. That was really nice. Your son's graduation. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Big yeah. yeah, man. Size 20s ain't no joke, boy. Yes, uh, sir. But no, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, the online brothers uh, who supported, very supportive of my son. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm digging that. But, you know, before we get, because we're going to, I want us to, toward the end of this, talk more about your particular situation. But okay. as a father who's gone through this entire process back and forth with family courts, back and forth with spouses, you know, this whole kind of issue. Um, 
and I know I'm just asking you to kind of guesstimate, but in terms of what you saw in the article I just presented around this new policy regarding LGBT identity and whichever parent is more supportive will more likely get a judge's uh, support as far as custody. Do you see this as something that can be used against fathers in particular? Absolutely. And I just don't know how it's going to pass muster um, a legal challenge because there is some legal precedent such as uh, Wisconsin v. Yoder. And that spoke about um, the the religious direction of a um, child's upbringing. And this the Supreme Court has traditionally pushed back at the state when it comes to issues such as these, especially when it comes into a child's private life. The issue at hand is that they're turning it into something dealing with health. And mm. I think that's what's going to undercut father sex, especially. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw a couple situations up here for us to look at. Um, this one shifting a bit deals with really an absence of policy more so than policy itself. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit or show a few examples of this whole question of DNA testing at birth. All right now, I want to test this out because I don't know, you know, every time I do this, you know, the, the sound system acts whatever kind of way. So let me see something. Um, let me know if you guys can hear this at all. Did you hear anything just then? Yeah, I hear that. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and try to play this. Uh, give me a one in the chat if you can hear it. You love these babies, you're going to stay the same. You're not going to change. Do you understand that? You're going to be a man and you're going to do what you've been doing. That's that. Okay? There's no need to fold. <laughs> You've been in their life since they were. Come on. Come on. So, I didn't set it up because I was so worried about the sound, but this is off Steve Wilco's show. Will, I don't know. I think that's his name. Um, and basically, it's about a 17 year old cat who thought that two children he had with a woman were his, and he found out on the show that they weren't. Right? And so, what you saw there was the mother who was trying to tell him go ahead and stay playing the same kind of role. Now, we've been pushing here on the Onyx Report and, of course, with the Black Male Political Agenda that DNA testing should be mandatory at birth. It should be, should be part of the process, right? Because you got a lot of everyday cats that are not yet in a position where they're, um, they're often able to push this through and have a testing done uh, very early on. And if you've ever, especially been married, and uh, you're young at that, and you're in this room with your, your wife, your, your mother, your mother-in-law, a couple sisters and aunties. You may not be in the position that some of you red pill brothers are to where you would push this through regardless. Some cats don't know how to do that. Some cats can't. Still, it should just be part and parcel to the process, right? DNA tests is what we're arguing here. So in this case, the mother is pushing him to stay in this situation, right? And we've seen this kind of thing on social media over and over again. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, aside from mentioning fair use, which I'm always forgetting to do, um, I, some of these things could definitely be, you know, uh, uh, you know, just uh, skits and whatnot. I don't deny that. I play them anyway 
because th these kind of things actually do happen, right? But in the absence of DNA testing at birth as a policy, right, we find ourselves in this situation often or often enough, right? Uh, and so in this, the question I'm raising is with this particular skit, what do you guys think about the mother's role in this, right? So she's adding another layer of pressure. And I think in many ways, this, this kind of weaponizes a father's love or a man's love for children against him, right? So what exactly is the average guy going to do in this kind of situation, even though he has every right to walk away? Women know that's not going to be the easiest thing to do. And when your own mother is telling you to stay, you know, that can be quite difficult. Uh, any thoughts about that, Dead Set? Face betrayal. That's how I see it. And the first, I saw this show, and the first thing that came to my mind is, where's this boy's father? Because I don't think he would have had that response. Now, um, when my second child was born, I got a DNA test. And I can honestly say that it contributed to the failure of my second marriage because she was so against it. And okay. I was adamant. I was like, please. Mm -hmm. And so my mother, she, you know, I was in my 40s and my mother wasn't going to tell me anything. She was like, you know, you shouldn't have done that. You know, that was basically <laughs> accusing her. I was like, I don't care. Right. Right. Because I was who I was. And now, so, what would you have done at 20? At 20? Yeah. What do you think you would have done at 20? I would have probably been so excited to have a child. I wouldn't have thought about it. Mm. Mm. And if one of your boys said, man, you should get a DNA test on that child, you know, I mean, they probably couldn't tell me anything. Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons that I want something in place because everybody isn't, you know, online. We're not all uh, listening to these discussions and participating in them particularly amongst black men, you know, you're really kind of helping us understand why it's important for us to do it. And I think that's what some of these mothers are benefiting from. They're benefiting off the ignorance and the emotionality of the men in these situations. And again, if you're a young man, most particularly coming from a family full of women, as you said, I mean, that's going to be, you know, perceived negatively, but you suggested that this had an impact on the failure of the marriage. Can you go into any yes. more detail about that? Yes, we, um, she had just given birth to our second son. Now, mind you, I told her before the boy was even born, I said, look, I'm getting this boy tested. She said, go ahead. <laughs> but she didn't think I was going to follow through because we had been married. Uh, we had been married five years up to that point. Okay. And if she knew anything about me, it's like when I say I'm going to do something, it's done. So she came home because my son was born a preemie and she has spent months in the hospital. So I know okay. exhaustion had a lot to do with her reaction to it, but she saw the DDC paperwork okay, and the letter and she looked at it and then she sent me this text and I mm. sent her a text back. I won't going to talk to her. I said, I told you I was going to have this done. <laughs> and that, I don't think she ever lived that down. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And this is, again, even just that, even though, you know, even the, 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 the woman's disapproval, and we haven't even gotten to the external family, right? Her family, your family, you know, that's a lot for the average cat mm -hmm. to deal with if he's not, you know, mentally prepared, he hasn't been through enough to really, you know, kind of, you know, because obviously by the time you were in your 40s, 
you know, you were set in terms of what you were going to do. You, know, oh, yeah. you were prepared to engage that, you know, but you've also, you know, had a chance to reflect on these things over the years. There's a lot of cats that haven't done that, you know. So mm -hmm. that being said, I think in many ways, this kind of thing weaponizes our emotions, weaponizes our love for children, our love for family. And I noticed this a lot, especially with my students. A lot of the young black men that come into my classes are very much wanting wives and kids and white picket fences and homes and steady jobs. I mean, these guys come in with that hope. And really, it's not because they even come from that. It's often because they don't come from that. They want to actually build something that they've never seen because of how much dysfunction they've actually seen. So in these kind of situations, even that desire to improve the, the, the image of the black family, the, the status of the black community, even that's being weaponized against them. Because I've actually had two of my former students reach out to me who've gone through this very kind of situation, finding out that their children weren't theirs. Um, you know, and this is over the course of the last 20 odd years, but still, you know, it's incredibly impactful. So in this context, this particular example, or the ones we're looking at in regard to DNA testing, we're, we're looking at the absence of policy and how that can make vulnerable, you know, uh, each person. Now, this one, this next one is a little different. Well, I want to posit something before you move on. Oh, go ahead. Um, I actually read on, read up on paternity fraud. Okay. And for people who don't know why it's not punished, if you look online at um, go to Westlaw or some of those sites, mm -hmm. it will tell you flat out that paternity fraud, though it is considered fraud, it's not punishable. It's not a punishable crime. Wow. That's the reason why nothing is ever done about it. Yeah. 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 And when you factor that alongside other types of, of, of false accusations where women don't even really get their hands slapped. You know what I mean? We found cases where very public figures have been accused of sexual issues and sexual behavior and found that to be false, found the accusations to be whole cloth false. Nothing happens to her. She doesn't even have to have her name revealed publicly. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's had to go through this entire public you know, issue um, and nothing happens. So when you when you look at how many different situations women can do these kind of things and men either just have to take it figure out how to get through it or suffer the consequences of it, whether it's false or true, uh, often levied with no evidence. You know, you see how frustrating this kind of thing can be. Yep. Now, with this particular skit, this is a TikToker. Uh, and what he's doing is he's acting out, from what I understand, a, a Reddit post. And again, I don't play these because I think these things are actually happening to the individual people. I play them because I know it's happening to brothers. I've met brothers who've gone through these kinds of things uh, and so I just want to be clear about that. He's acting out something that he's reading off of, of Reddit. And he's actually, you know, asked that people, if they have other things they want him to act out, he's willing to do so. So I just want to put that out there first. But y'all check this out. A few years ago, my oldest daughter had to take a DNA test for school just to figure out ancestry. During the DNA test, she came to me very, very sad because apparently me and her were not related. I was like, huh? When she told me this, I had to keep a straight face because the immediate shock was just wild. Then I decided to go with her to get a paternity test done. When we got the paternity test done, it was also concluded that I was not her father. At this point, I was shocked. 
I've had four kids with my wife and she was the oldest and I needed to see how far this rabbit hole went. I told her to not let her mother know that we know this information. And then I went to my next oldest child, not mine. I went to the one below that not mine. And then I decided to stop there because the youngest child is so young that this may directly affect them and they don't really understand what's going on anyway. So I didn't even want to go into that rabbit hole. But when I got the information, I immediately was like, let me go talk to my wife about this. So like always, she didn't take responsibility or any type of accountability. And she said, how are you going to believe your wife over these tests? I was like, are you serious? <laughs> are you like for real, for real? Like, is this, is this really where you're going to go with this? Then she starts crying profusely and saying it was only one time. I didn't mean to do it. And I was like, it was only one time. Um, hey. And then I showed her that each one of the children aren't mine with the exception of the youngest as so i think that's when it dawned on me that it was one time multiple times and then when we looked each one of the children's had different baby fathers and somehow that made it even worse because it wasn't just one person you was cheating on me with this is a habitual thing with multiple different people that you probably don't know about and i'm taking care of their kids they're my kids they're my kids i've raised each and every one of them from a super young age and they stood by me through this whole situation but the think that she's not who she said she was because up into that situation I thought we had a great marriage I thought we had a great life I thought everything was going good I thought that we were building together and already have built together she is a stay-at-home mom that works on things that she wants to do she takes care of the kids she cooks she cleans she does everything that's needed inside of the relationship with me yet she didn't tell me that she wanted to go outside of the marriage she didn't tell me that she wanted to do anything anyway after finding out the information and getting her side of the story, I let her know I would need a couple of space. So I had rented a hotel for a couple of days and I stayed in it. I stayed away and it was it was it was all right. It was good. But I really missed my kids and I wanted to see them. So after a couple of days, I was back inside of the house. But I'm not even gonna lie. I didn't say anything to my wife. I didn't speak to her. She would try to talk to me and I would look away. I would take care of the kids. I would grab the kids, take them to the mall, do different things with them. And everything was just, I was just trying to figure things out. I, I was just trying to see how I could make our relationship work or see if I need to separate and just take the kids myself. Like I didn't know what to do if I had any like legal rights to these individuals. Yeah, my name's on the birth certificate, but I'm not biologically theirs. I just wanted to figure things out, but I didn't. I didn't even I didn't even get that chance because six days ago she decided other than taking any type of responsibility to have a hangout session with the chandelier. And I'm so happy I have my kids because I just I just don't know what I would like. It's just it's just baffling to me. Because the whole time, even with evidence, she just kept denying and denying and denying and denying. And I, I don't know if I did something wrong. I don't know if I was never supposed to know in the first place. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I didn't want this to happen. I didn't want to not have my kids not to have their mother. <sighs> All right. So any thoughts about that? As tragic as it was, I think that this is a failure of the education of men as to 
what human beings are really like. It's something that Kevin mm. Samuels used to say. Mm. That woman is not a princess or sugar and you know sugar spice and everything nice. She's a human being. <laughs> Expect her to do what the human beings do. Right. Right. Also, this is where you know things such as the holy books come in very handy, mm. because as much as you know, women talk about misogyny or women were brutalized in the Old Testament. They never talk about the stories where women were very loved and very cherished. They never talk mm. about what the 31st, 31st chapter of uh, Proverbs. Mm. Lemuel's, um, Lemuel's mother's talking. They, they never talk about that part. Okay. They only talk about the parts when we know that the women do wrong and they got stoned to death or some stuff like that. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> and I think that is, that is as much part of our, your um, philosophy major, right? I think that's as much undergrad I was. Undergrad. Okay. What I think that is much part of our philosophical upbringing when it comes Mm -hmm. to religion, as is the math, the sciences, and everything else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I might invite some people up after um, uh, Deadset gives us this story if you're interested. So, you know, just stick around. Let me know if you want. If there's any part of this you want to comment on. But again, I play these because I know these things are happening. And at the end of the day, it's difficult for men in many ways to really prepare ourselves for just how human women are. Because I think it it very much goes to a lot of the propaganda, most particularly for media. You know, it's kind of Walt Disney kind of thing that that you just pointed out. The, The sugar and spice and everything nice. And we're raised with that understanding. So, you know, we're often not prepared, especially by the time you've invested in a situation, you you know, if you've ever held a child that has Mm. come out of the woman you love, the last thing on your mind, unless you've been red pilled, is that this may not be yours. You know, that this, this may all be a fabrication. This may all be a lie. It is one of the last things that will come across your mind. And most men are wholly unprepared for that. Right. So without any type of protection, um, hell, you know, most men will sign the birth certificate before they even know the policies around what happens. And we know in these spaces, you sign the birth certificate, they don't care how many DNA tests you find that prove that you're not the biological father. Guess what? You're stuck with that. Yep. You're stuck with child support, even though this child is not yours, even though you've been lied to and manipulated. They don't care. All they're concerned about is making sure that the state doesn't have to pick up the tab. So they're happy to get anybody who has signed that contract, so to speak. And many of us don't even look at, you know, the birth certificate as a contract. We look at it as, you know, a declaration of our fatherhood, our manhood, our participation in building this family. We don't often see it as a life binding or at least 18 odd years uh, binding you to a situation that you may not need to, you may not belong to at all, right? Most of us are not prepared for that. So that being said, these are the kind of situations where it's important to have some type of support. Now, when it comes to the actual issue of DNA testing and uh, parentage, I thought there was a couple things that would be good to look at. Uh, some of us have often heard the statistic around 30% of men, you know, that it depends on where you're getting this from. If you look at it uh, from the Caribbean, I think it was Jamaica in particular, the percentage was, was actually much higher. Um, when you look at it from certain countries in Africa, depending on where you are, it was higher. Um, this particular article here on dnatesting.com makes an interesting point. It actually suggests that the rates are not 
particularly that high. If you look at the, the actual data around it, they'll trace it between one and 5%. They keep it very conservative. But what they do say is the 30% comes about from dealing with men who are going to get tested because they suspect something. So they, they suggest, and you can see it right around here, of all the possible fathers who take a paternity, uh, paternity test, about 32% are not the biological father. But remember, this is one third of men who have a reason to take the paternity test, not one third of all men. Right. So, you know, they, they try to clarify that, you know, um, but they say the the 30 percent figure comes from that. Right. And you often you also have uh, certain, uh, you know, corporations, DNA testing corporations involved in that, depending on where they are. There's a couple of things I thought were interesting. Now, this one is slightly older. Oh, and shout, matter of fact, let me shout out. And uh, yeah, let me shout out to Dark Power. Appreciate the support. Swing Out Museum. Appreciate that support. Says Dallas checking in. Appreciate that. Uh, Emmanuel points out. Yeah, Jamaica had it over seventy uh, percent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so depending on where you are, those numbers can fluctuate. Um, but this is an article. This is an older piece from two thousand five, but it's on the Guardian. So I thought it was interesting. And uh, they make the case here their review of estimates of so-called paternity discrepancy. There are more than 50, over more than 50 years, suggests the father was not the natural parent in between one and 30% of cases. So you still have the 30%, you know, kind of being laid out even as early as 2005. Researchers point to U.S. increases in paternity tests from 142,000 in 1991 to 310,000 in 2001. London firm DNA Bioscience said research suggested that 8,900 and 20,000 tests a year are done in this country. So again, as early as 2005, we're seeing an increase in these, right? So we know they're going up, but they still kind of around that 30% range. This is an academic piece. So for those of you interested in academic research, oh, hold on, my bad. This thing is not exactly keeping up. So let me, okay, so here's an academic piece. Shout out to Mike. Says now, now biblically adultery uh, was very serious, and this is why. Imagine another man's seed inheriting what you wanted for yours. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, there are men who will take people off this planet behind this issue. So it's 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 a real, real deal. Uh, this is from the NCBI um, website, National Library Library of Medicine. Uh, collected journals. This is from the Journal of. Epidemial Community Health. This particular piece is called Measuring Paternal Discrepancy and Its Public Health Consequences. Right? It says parental discrepancy occurs when a child is identified as being biologically fathered by someone other than the man who believes he's the father. Uh, shout out to Roderick for that support. Appreciate that. Art Neustel, what's good with you, man? Good to see you in here. Uh, this paper examines published evidence on levels of parental discrepancy and its public health consequences. Rates vary between studies from 0.8 to 30%, right? Using information from genetic and behavioral studies, the article identifies those who conceive younger, live in de deprivation, are in long-term relationships rather than marriages, or in certain cultural groups are at higher risk. Public health consequences of PD being exposed include family breakup and violence. However, leaving PD undiagnosed means cases have incorrect information on their genetics and fathers continuing to suspect the children may not be theirs. 
increasing paternity testing and use of DNA techniques in clinical and judicial or yeah, judicial pr uh, procedures means more cases of PD will be identified given development, uh, excuse me, given developing roles for individuals, genetics and decisions made by health services, private services, for example, insurance, and even in personal lifestyle decisions, the dearth of intelligence on how and when PD should be exposed urgently needs addressing. So this is a paper, again, going back to 2005, citing the range of 0.8% to 30%. So this 30% number has been pretty consistent even though when you look at the a lot of the official documentations, they try to limit it to between one and five. Mm -hmm. This last one comes from Science Advances or science.org. And it starts out actually addressing non-human species, which I think was pretty interesting. But it, it actually tries to predict in the future this question of evolutionary theory and rate, rates of what they call extra pair paternity. Right. Um, so it, it what they basically argue in this is that between 48 and 70% of couples will at least have one extra pair paternity uh, situation at some point in the future as we go along. And they're particularly talking amongst white whites, European descent, so on and so forth. But I think it speaks to um, how prevalent this issue is. So here you go. This is the piece here. High rate of extra pair paternity in human population demonstrates diversity in human reproductive strategies. Right. So this is uh, 2020, February 2020. The abstract is there. I put all of these links in the description box. But if this is something you're interested in, you feel free to go check it out. They're anticipating even more. Right. So we've already seen an increase in people going to get their DNA tested. And, we're, and the science is suggesting that there's not only going to be an increase in that, there's going to be an increase in actual cases where children are um, kind of misrepresented in terms of their parentage. Right? So this whole question of DNA testing in regard to policy is strictly about what happens if men don't push for policy advances. And this is one of those situations where men across race actually have shared interests. So in states where we are seeing policies start to change, um, where at the very least, I think we're, man, was it Tennessee? I forget the last, I reported on it in a previous video, a couple of videos ago. They're actually starting to punish people, women in particular, for falsely, um, you know, identifying the father. So. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, uh, it's still developing. It's still slow. But again, this is something that men and change if they so, so choose. Shout out to Electrician480. Salute. Appreciate that support. What's up, Stuart? Hope you're well. False paternity abuse. Absolutely. So they're actually starting to identify false paternity abuse, and they're starting to actually develop policy in some states around punishing women who willingly misrepresent uh, who the father is. Right? So again, this stuff is only happening because you guys are talking about this kind of thing. This is this is the main catalyst in why this is changing. It's not changing because politicians woke up one day and decided that they needed to just do this. This is changing because politicians have to respond to the environment. They have to respond to their constituencies, and they're finding that more and more men are having these conversations. So I just kind of wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Whoever said the manosphere didn't do any good. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say, man. We, yeah. You know, this is happening because you guys are doing this. So a couple other things I want to show, uh, and I want to obviously, you know, uh, get a dead set perspective on these things. Uh, this one is different. So we're moving out of DNA, but we are talking about 
um, mothers and the degree to which mothers have been allowed to remove children from the father altogether. Um, so let's check this out. Let's see here. Here we go. The, the, the pleadings and they, the dad wants shared custody and mom fights against, I think every other weekend is enough. I just got done with a case. Probably this woman is one of the biggest hypocrites I've ever litigated against. Um, and judge gave dad custody. She moved from Alabama to Georgia to destroy any chance of sharing custody with him. She takes the kids, she moves them across state lines, enrolls them in school, doesn't even talk to my client. Well, we litigate it and we litigated the heck out of this case. Well, the judge just understood because of the distance, a 50-50 was not possible, right? Because of school. So guess who got custody? He did. Everything that she did ended up working against her because it's very important. When I tell my clients when they commit, I don't care what she does. We do what's right. We do the right thing. We don't give them anything to use against us. And your kids are going to see that one day they will look back and they will see, even though mom did this, dad still did the right thing. It worked out well for us. Um, it's, it is a lot more work litigating for dads. I feel like the lawyers that work with me feel like we have to do, I'm not joking, 10 times the work to get a fair result. Okay. All right. So any thoughts about any of that? If, it, if anybody missed it, this is a lawyer who often advocates for fathers in regard to custody. And she pointed out, uh, you know, that it's 10 times the amount of work to do that. She gave a case about a mother who took the kids, um, you know, out of the state uh, without permission, without the approval and support of the father. There was no way to do 50-50 custody. So the judge ruled in his favor. Any thoughts about that, Dead Set? Oh, yes. Judges will rule in, well, I mean, the fact that he ruled in his favor, whoever this judge was, mm -hmm. either she's a heck of a lawyer they got lucky with the judge or maybe it was um, more likely a little bit of both. Right. Because while this is anecdotal in my, in my um, experience, it is very rare for the father to get the children, even in those situations. Mm -hmm. But again, um, I'm no expert. I don't know what the numbers are. I only know this by, you know, the stories I read, who I talk to online, et cetera. Well, a couple of couple of things real quick. Deadset may not be like, you know, an academic uh, expert on the issue. Deadset has just been through hell and back. So one of the reasons I keep inviting him up is to give us the status of his case, because he's gone above and beyond what I've seen a lot of men able to do. Um, and that's why, I, you know, I respect the grind. I, re I respect what he's been through. And I want brothers to hear and learn from what he's done, because hopefully something he's done might benefit you. So we're going to get to that in a moment. And as far as this particular clip I just played, because of the music that they had in it, I might have to blur it and, and silence it, uh, depending on whether or not they demonetize the video. If so, I'll put the full video on uh, Patreon. For my patrons and then you know if you catch it just free on youtube it might be blocked out and that's why because i don't know what, what they'll do as far as that music is concerned so just letting you know but anyway um so you have this issue here right where we're looking at again at policy we're looking at how it can be used and here you actually have a, a you know a woman lawyer who works on a regular basis to advocate for fathers 
talking about not only how difficult it is, but how they were actually able to use the law in the, to the benefit of men. And this is something I think, especially in the black community, would catch a lot of women off guard because they're not used to actually, you know, seeing men succeed in these kind of situations. For the most part, the practice has been what she wants goes. And even, and I've had brothers even tell me situations where she was clearly in the wrong and the judge will just let her roll, let her roll with her, you know, will not hold her accountable for it. I've brought in several different men that have talked about this kind of thing. Um, and, and even when they're, you know, proven right in court, the judge will say, yeah, I agree with you, but she'll still not be punished. So for them to get a ruling of custody, you know, tells you that, you know, some of these things are starting to turn around in a particular way. And there's a lot of mothers in particular who are not used to being questioned. They're not used to being questioned like this because for the most part, they've been able to run roughshod for years as far as, you know, who gets custody and why. So let me just pull this up. Now, the last example I want to play is it's a few minutes in here, but I think it's important. Uh, because it deals with um, it deals with a celebrity case that most of us have been pretty well informed about, but there's a new kind of dimension to it. So you guys have seen these reports, uh, these interviews uh, recently by Billy Garland. This is Tupac's father, and this is happening in response to this uh, you know current dim- uh, uh, what do you call it uh, documentary that's been out called Dear Mama dealing with uh, Tupac's life. And he gives a different spin on what's taken place with Tupac and he as his father over his lifetime and on this kind of uh, sainthood of Afeni Shakur, right? Now this, uh, now Billy himself was a Black Panther. They were in the Black Panther party together, you know, so he can talk at length about that experience as well. But in this particular interview, I'm gonna play a clip of it where he's talking about um, you know, how long it took before he got to see Tupac and what that was and, you know, how his relationship with Afeni kind of played into it. In another interview, he actually talks about her um, really not even acknowledging that he was alive at a certain point and questioning his motivations as to why he wanted to get in touch with his son. I'll leave that up to you to determine what you believe and what you don't believe. But, um, you know, the fact that he's he's kind of able to speak up on this is interesting. So let me see if I can get this where I'd like it to go. Hold on. Let me see. So we're going to start it right about here. So this is Tupac's father. Here we go. Oh, crap. With him. Uh, he had to be, I used to go over to uh, the Bronx, Morningside. I used to visit him. Not as much, though. When the party broke up, it was a, it was just, it was something different. Uh, COINTEL had changed us. COINTEL had had us looking at each other suspiciously. There had been a couple murders, Panther on Panther murder. That's when everybody went to the four winds. They just scattered. Everybody went their different ways. And I was one of those who went a different way. I lost contact with Afeni, which later I found out she had moved to Baltimore, then Oakland. You see, so it was, uh, I'd say maybe 13, 14 years, a gap of not seeing my son. People say, well, why didn't you look for him? I didn't know where. And then it was something that 
I wish I had more so, but nobody lived in stationary locations. We all moved. We had apartments. Even when we were in the Panthers, we had apartments throughout all the Bronx, all of Manhattan. We were like, you know, gypsies, not so much uh, in that sense, but in the way that the way we lived, we moved around a lot. So I went to a couple places, but nobody had seen or they told me someone had moved to Baltimore. So I accepted that. And there was nothing I could do about it at that time. You know, I wasn't as stable as I had wanted to be, wanted to be. So what are you going to do? And um, in the docuseries, uh, there was a part where Alan Hughes basically said he mentioned a number of addresses that uh, uh, Afeni had potentially moved to throughout that time. Do you think that was one of the things that probably prevented you also from finding oh, out yeah, where no, Tupac was at? Yeah, no doubt. Right. Yeah, it was, it was just that way. Uh, I haven't seen members of the Black Panther Party to this day. Men I had slept and women I had slept in the same cadre with. Wherever you went, you sat, you slept. You went to the Bronx, you went down to D.C., you went to Philly, you went to Minnesota. Wherever you went, you stayed at the Panther Cadre house. They gave you a gun and you slept. And when you got up, you went to do about you went to do your business. So it was a situation where I don't think uh, I could have, uh, you know, located them, even if I wanted to, to be honest with you. When did you first recognize Tupac again after losing contact with him. I believe it was a juice hoster or something like that. Yeah, no, yeah. My boy, same guy, called me up and said, I just saw a movie. And the guy's name was Tupac Shakur. And I'm looking at this poster. And if you look at the poster, kind of looked like me in the poster because he's in the front. But he really didn't look at like me until you went to the movies. And then when I went to the movies, I saw him. And I was sitting in the theater and uh, I, I started crying. And I'm sure people next to me must have been, why is this grown man crying in this movie? But they had no idea. I was seeing my son after 15 years on the big silver screen. And it gave me joy and happiness to see him. That's when I initially tried to contact him. And my concern was that he was my son, and I just wanted him to know that his dad was available. But uh, people aren't always as honest as you think they are, my brother. They don't always tell the truth. You know, they don't always. Broke my heart, because these are people that I was willing to die with. You understand? Absolutely. That I struggled with. And uh, I don't know. It just broke my heart. It broke my heart. Wow. Amazing. Okay. So here, again, you come to your own conclusions about who to believe, what you agree with, what you don't. I mean, there's a lot of, I'm sure, uh, information outside of this interview that some of y'all might be more familiar with than I am. But at the same time, I've also heard this story from many a father who didn't know where their child was taken to, didn't know where they went. Didn't have con and remember this is pre-internet as well, so it's not like you could just you know kind of look up people that easily. He's basically going to Black Panther flop houses and asking people. So that was the kind of network they had at the time. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, right? But your thoughts dead set on this. So this is Tupac's father saying he didn't really know even where he was until he's watching him on the big screen. 
Yeah. Um, there was a time in my case where I didn't know where my daughter was because my ex had taken her and she absconded her. I have to use that term since legally it's not kidnapping. Wow. And what's yeah. the difference real quick? What's the difference? Because without a court order, a parent can take a child. Any parent can take the child anywhere with no regard to their spouse or the other parent, be they married or not. Kidnapping can only happen in the legal context where there is established custody or there is no relationship with the child at all. So um, I was corrected on that by the judge. (laughs) He's like, no, she did not kidnap the child. She absconded her. But the point that I was trying to get to was that you do not escape something like that unscathed. And I, um, I know we're going to get to this, but I told you that I did not get custody of my children because now I have to deal with mental health issues. Mm. And I'm sure that this man is probably dealing with something like that, maybe not to the, the degree that I am. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like, men, when you see your son, and you hadn't seen them in a while and they were taken away through some act of call it whatever you want. Right. It gets you and it gets you deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just real quick, I just wanted to put this on the table. And by the way, go listen to the song, Dear Mama, after watching these interviews and see how it hits different. Because apparently there was a lot you know, and, and many of us, especially Gen X, uh, went through this in one way or another. So you can understand in many ways um, this whole dynamic of the father not, you know, being involved, even when fathers wanted to be. They weren't always able to. So I just wanted to put this on the table because it's, I'm saying if this is happening to men in general and we're seeing it even in some of the most celebrated figures, then this is something that we need to pay attention to. And again, is a product of policy in terms of, you know, Afini knowing she could do this and nobody would really question it. You know what I mean? Nobody would really challenge her. And I'm, I'm told that there were moments where Pac even had discussions with her and Billy talks about that uh, in terms of what he knew about it. But at the end of the day, if this is happening to celebrities, what do you think is happening to everyday folk? What is happening to you as you sit here and listen to this? What kind of stories do you have? about these dynamics, whether you're the son or the father in the equation, right? So I just wanted to put that out there, but I want to thank Deadset for being willing to come up because he's going to talk a little bit. And if he can, I hope he will, you know, refresh everybody's memory as to his situation, but give us an update on what's currently happening uh, with your case. So uh, take us through it. Okay. Um, To summarize what's been going on, if people don't know, I divorced my ex-wife in 2021 in in December of 2020 uh, well actually a year before months before that she absconded my daughter and then we came to a tentative agreement that because I fired my nanny that upon hiring a new nanny I would come get the children she did Mm. not want that to happen because I did hire a new nanny and I was ready to get my children instead she filed child sex abuse claims against me and so therefore um 
We went through investigation. It was ruled out. A judge threw it out of court. We get to my divorce hearing. The judge decides that it wasn't contrived and I lose all rights to my children. Mm. And so I appeal it. Um, <laughs> they protect each other. And the reason why I say the judges protected each other is because every lawyer that I took my case to stated that there was a clear violation of my civil rights there, mm. given the fact that, um, given the fact that it had been investigated by the state and ruled out and that another judge had also ruled on it. So it was res judicata. Mm. Anyway, fast forward, um, fast forward, I'm doing visitation in June of 2021 through October of 2021. I filed contempt against my wife and mm. she gets into this big heated argument with my mother damn near me swinging at her and my children see all of this. I filmed the whole thing. Okay. So all of this happens within a span of about two weeks. And I'm coming after her because it's like, okay, you about to get it. And my mom filed charges against her and there was a protective order. She files second abuse claims. So I'm just going to fast forward to um, because there was a lot of rigmarole. I had to deal with the DSS. I had to deal with trying to sue the judge. I had to deal with deal with all kinds of stuff. Fast forward to May of this year. And I had two days, a two day hearing on May 2nd and May 3rd. And that was for child custody modif modification. She had been found guilty of willful contempt in January of this year. Okay. So I'm just going to read from what some of part of the judge's opinion here, because this will be the second time a judge has thrown her claims out of court and basically called what she was doing fraud. Mm. And it states that this magistrate finds that the mother appears to make allegations of abuse only when confronted within with an expansion of father's visitation with minor children. Balancing these concerns with the DSS findings of abuse, this magistrate finds that under the family law article 9-101, a fact finder can reasonably find that abuse did not occur. Now she used stronger language prior to that, mm -hmm. but that basically summed up her position on all of this. She is the second judge who came to that conclusion. Okay. Mind you, I just saw my daughter for the first time yesterday after 22 months. Shit. I saw my son starting in February of this year. That was after roughly just over, just under a year and a half. I hadn't heard anything from them. Didn't see them, didn't call them. I mean, didn't call them. Wasn't allowed to contact them because she changed right. her number, the whole nine yards. Now, so I do have yeah. to ask you this before you continue. Tell people what is that like to see both children after that long? What 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 is that like? I'm still processing it because I remember being away from them for two weeks. That was um, from the December to January, and that that nearly drove me crazy because it was not knowing mm. 
this here, I have at this point, I was prepared to let them go. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to be driven crazy, but it was just like, you know, I walked through that fire and come to terms with my situation and decided that, you know, I'm just may have to walk away from my own kids. So when I did see them, it was bittersweet because while I'm thinking, hey, thank God I got my children back. I'm also thinking, what am I walking into now? Because I already know what she's capable of. They're not going to prosecute her for obvious fraud. So the only thing that I can do is basically reading between the lines here of what the judge wrote and the strength of her language is sue for defamation. Okay. And try to have some of the things that she's said to my family to alienate me because I have been alienated by my family because they think I'm a pedophile. Damn. So damn. Basically, my goal anyway at this point is to just have this whole thing have her gagged on this issue and then sue for defamation because the state's not going to do anything with it wow okay so is that is that the 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 current state of things that's the current state of things um the good news is this she was found guilty of willful contempt and a disposition was waiting on the magistrate's recommendation which i have here now that we have the recommendation, the <laughs> the coming disposition on willful contempt does not bode well for her. Okay. Because her her entire defense was incumbent upon the false accusations that she made. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part to fight because you're fighting two agencies. You're fighting the court, number one, mm. and you're fighting CPS. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't even throw um I didn't even throw child support in there because you know I'm still on the hook for twenty six no actually at this point it's thirty thousand dollars a year in child support. Wow. On these two kids, and so and I want to put something out there too, just as a side note, because I hear a lot of guys you know who talk about the child support issue, who are claiming that a lot of us are only paying what two and three hundred dollars a month, which is not true. Some of us are paying five and six hundred dollars a week, Ooh. and we're not even making six figures. Wow! So, you know, it hits hard. Yeah. Yeah. But back to <laughs> back to the story. It's just like words cannot describe how happy I am to see my children, mm-hmm. but. I must say that my heart is much blacker right now. Mm. Yeah. And just like uh, Kofa said, you know, a lot of people don't understand how fathers in particular can get to a point where they're willing to walk away. I've had a number of students over the decades too come in and be crying in my office over it. You know, my father has a new family and, you know, he doesn't call and, you know, and, and, and they only, the only narrative they have is what the mother has told them over the years, you know? And, and now that they're over 18, they're not even really in a place where they want to reach out to him because of the narrative that they've only heard from the mother, you know? And I've had to point out to them, you know, sometimes this is a survival mechanism. When fathers check out, 
and start a new family, a lot of the times they've had a lot of resistance from the mother. She's been able to leverage the, the court against him and him starting a new family is not a declaration of a lack of love for you as his child. It's, it's all he can do to live his life. You know, it, you know, yeah, there are monsters, you know, men out there who are horrible fathers, they're horrible, you know, mothers, we, although we never seem to really get to that. But the point is, it's not always that these men are just monsters because they start new families that much, much of the time, I would argue, it has to do with just trying to live life. And if you can't have the family you initially wanted and you're not able to do anything and she's even willing to throw you in jail behind it, sometimes all you can do is start over or just walk away. And some fathers have even told me they just got to the point where it was like, well, I'm waiting for a kid to knock on my door in 18 years. And yeah. it's a horrible situation to be in. But, you know, there's a point where anything you do almost works against you. But you'd be in a better position to kind of describe, you know, where, where a man can get to in this situation than I can. I'm only operating off of things I've been told. Um, oh, you've lived yeah. it. Yeah. And that and it explains my mental health issues, because had I been really indifferent, I would not have the issues that I have right now. Mm. And, you know, you know, things seem normal on the surface. But, you know, there are moments when I'm not going to say, but mm -hmm. use whatever description you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But at the yeah. same time, there's something there's something liberating about it, too. And this is the other part about it. The liberating thing is that while I saw the world for what it was, even before I got married, there were some things that I just could not anticipate. I yeah. could not anticipate that level of evil being acted upon yeah. me by somebody I used to care about. Yes, yes, yes. So nowadays when I'm dealing with not even just women, but just anybody, that is always there. It's like, dude, what are you on? What is your angle? What are you talking about? There is no more trust for humanity at this point. I'm like owl man. Mm. Mm. See that, that right there. And, you know, when you can explain how you get to this point, it's, it's rough. Yeah. Rough. You know, yes. And so the world can burn as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, the only thing that keeps you and it's a funny thing, because it's almost like what I got from the court is almost. I can't prove this, and I know it's part of my delusion speaking, but it's almost as though we're dangling your children in front of you just to keep you yes. from going over the edge. Yes. Yes. But then when I also when I look at how things worked out, it was like, OK, I came out on top. Mm -hmm. But there's always that question of which is it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the the judgments and where they seem to be going, especially in regard to her, what is the best case scenario for you as far as custody of these kids, and and what's the time frame for when that can happen? What I can, what I'm hoping for is that they put her in jail put her ass in jail i get custody by default i'm cool with that so when, um, when could that happen september september that's the disposition date i don't you, anticipate that happening but it's possible okay what do you anticipate i anticipating them getting giving her a slap on the wrist because of the fact that 
now that I have documented, quote unquote, mental health issues. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they may just say in the interest of the children, because dad is in this position. Now, the other part to that, and this is the part I'm working on, is that I am going to, well, I'm looking for right now, a mental health evaluator, because if I get a good evaluation prior to that, Mm -hmm. I can alter my situation. So at this point, this is playing the game. Okay. Okay. Tell me, what would you say the impact on your mental health is when you have your children in front of you? Oh, that's... Do you think, or do you think <laughs> if that was a regular thing that your overall state would change? Yeah, after the first visit, my state changed. I noticed it. I mean, I'm an introspective man anyway, mm-hmm. but there was there was definitely an afterglow that I still have right now yeah. at seeing both of my children together. And I have an even greater afterglow at seeing my son who's four years old now, giving his mother hell. Oh, <laughs> that, that little boy is driving her up the wall. And I'm like, hey, you get what you asked for. I just don't want him to get too much older before I have a chance to reel that right. in. Right. Yeah, because I've seen that with a lot of a lot of mothers. You know, by the time they can't handle him, they're calling the father when he's 16. Yeah. And most fathers are like, nah, I needed him at five. You know, and that's how you prevent this. You don't wait until you can't handle them anymore and then toss them up to whomever you want to load, unload him off on. You No, I need him at five. You know what I mean? That's that's how that works. Um, but, you know, often you don't get that. But we, we, we're definitely hoping you do. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you've been you've been dealing with this for how many years now? Since 2021. So it's two years now. Now, the good thing, well, there's another angle to this because my daughter is, she turns nine on the 18th of this month. Mm-hmm. She's about to walk into puberty. And, <laughs> and I'm, look, she is a, she is a gorgeous girl mm-hmm. who is also boy crazy. And she got a mama who has men running in and out. Ah, uh, okay. okay. I have, that's where my more immediate concern is right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after meeting with her and seeing her and, you know, and seeing her, you know, really starting to develop, yeah. we got our we got our reunion out of the way in the first 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I went straight into educating her because okay. this child is unarmed for yeah. what's going to be coming at her. Yeah. Yeah. Is it now is part of her boy craziness, uh, you know, just lack of access to you? No, she's been boy crazy since she was three. Oh, my. Yeah. She loves little boys. And <laughs> we know what that's going to turn into. <laughs> I'm like, oh, boy, I didn't deserve this. But hey, bring it on. OK, <laughs> so. So what would you tell a brother who's, who's, you know, just about to go through this? You know what I mean? Because I'm sure when this kind of thing starts, there's all kinds of thoughts about where you can go, what you can do, or what you just don't want to deal with at all. What insight would you give men who are at the beginning of this divorce slash custody situation? What would you tell them? The wisest decision I can give a man about to go through this is Make sure you are preparing for war. Do not pull punches. 
one of the things that we do as men, and I did this myself, Mm -hmm. is rationalizing that I cannot hurt the mother without hurting the child. No, you go in, you wind up and you hit her legally as hard as you can. You put her on the ground and you make sure that she cannot get back up. And he's legally. speaking metaphorically by using the term legally. He ain't yes, nobody metaphorically. Nobody. You, you go in there, it's scorched earth. Right. Because too many men, you know, as, as practical as I am as a man, mm-hmm. had I not had that thought in my head yeah. when I was going into this back in 2020, I'd have been, I'd have been way ahead of this. You see, I should have prosecuted her after it was ruled out the first time, Mm. but I didn't. I didn't go for defamation. I didn't go for anything. I was like, okay, I won't have to deal with the child abuse thing anymore because a court has already ruled on it and the investigation is done. Yeah. Not anticipating the fact that she would do it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, anything that she does, counter it. That that chivalrous thing we're all socialized with from, yeah. you know, being toddlers. We're socialized into sacrificing, deferring to her, prioritizing her emotional well-being. And this is part of the emotional labor men do for women. We prioritize their emotions, their worldview, their perspective, and, you know, the fallout of their experiences. It's, it's a default setting for most of us. You know what but I mean? But I mean... We don't, but, we don't I mean, often know how to challenge that until it's brought up for us to even contemplate whether or not we should. But go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, that was, in my case, that wasn't what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was prioritizing my children's needs. There you go. And it was only because, it's like I said, hurting my children was not something that I would have done. Right. So she's already going scorched earth on you. She's already going scorched because she could care less couldn't care less right yeah but it was and i you know my mother and i had these arguments i said look i'm not gonna Mm. hurt my children period if it means she gets to walk away unscathed then so be it but what i did not realize is that i was hurting them in the long run yes so and that's what guys have to carry if you don't fight her as hard as you can Mm-hmm. you're going to be hurting your children in the long run because when my daughter saw me and we, we um when we parted from each other what broke my heart was the level of sadness that she had at seeing me go yeah she had to walk back to her mother yeah yeah mm-hmm. wow well you know i i can definitely understand that you're not operating by chivalrous impulse but i i won't lie i I've, I've caught myself doing it you know even on just default and i mean and i'm not talking about divorce it can, it can apply to anything i mean it could be as subtle as opening doors for women or you know whatever it, it it there are so many different levels to this but it's difficult to go against programming when you've had years of being taught to see the world a certain way and that's one of the implications about being in these discussions and in these spaces where we're contemplating changing our own programming about a lot of different things uh, in terms of this because you know I was raised by a single mother so I can tell you if I had to go through what you're going through I can tell you how many family members I would have advocating for her mm-hmm. and telling me what I need to do you know they'll they, you know they'll tell me emotionally they feel bad for me but at the end of the day, when it comes to decision making, 
they'll advocate for her because in their minds they've been her you know yeah. i remember you know hearing very little bit about you know child support judgments family courts you know things that happen in court I only got bits and pieces my mother to her credit didn't down talk my father but at the end of the day i knew enough to know they had been to court several different times you know mm -hmm. what i mean so that being said you know often you'll have family even turn against uh you know turn against you and advocate for her sometimes after she's done some heinous ridiculous stuff yeah and it's it's you know but uh, would you say because you mentioned your mother would you say other family members supported you or how did that go my mother did support me um my mother was unique in that and i think i told this story before um when they divorced they my parents divorced when i was five mine too yeah and uh, that was back in 1976. so the when it came to getting assistance and all this other stuff that you know black women were just starting to get at that time right the <laughs> the decision was if you're going to get this this assistance then you're going to have to basically deal with the father at a distance he couldn't be coming over as often my mother decided that it was more important that her children have a father than it was for her to get anything from the state. Wow. And that's how my father stayed in my life. Okay. Okay. Beautiful. Now that doesn't mean my mom's no angel because boy, <laughs> we have our moments. Right. But that bit, that much she understood as a young girl but the reason why she came to that logical conclusion was because her father died before she even got to know him so uh, my grandfather died when my mother was about two years old okay and so absence of father meant something very different for her yes she she did not want her children to have an absent father right well, I'm glad she had that that insight. I'm sorry she had to learn it that way. Um, mm -hmm. And hopefully that's translated into more support for you. Because uh, I've heard, you know, many a brother talk about really battling the, the wife he's divorcing and the family he's not. And we're not even talking about her family. We already kind of know how that goes. But when you mm -hmm. have to battle your own family, especially if you're in a majority female family, while also mm -hmm. battling this woman over custody, you know, and then people turn around and say, well, he's got a he's got some kind of psychological issue. Well, does that not stand the reason that he might? You know, lost his children and he has to fight his own family alongside this woman in court. That's a lot. That's a lot. Well, that's the thing, though. Um, men are not equipped to fight these types of battles. We just I don't think human beings in general are equipped for that because we're equipped for just the opposite. We're social creatures. Mm. We you know, we want to be around people who are part of our tribe or part of our group. Right. So to become a pariah like that and then it's it's a living hell. It's basically what it is because you're basically they're taking away. Not just this man's opportunity to have humanity, but they're taking away his dignity on top of that. The fact that I have to deal with being called a pedophile by the women on my mother's side of the family because they believe some BS that my ex-wife, who was not part of my family, told them. And at this point, in fact, I wrote my, my nephew 
a text message because it's my sister and her children who decided that they did not want to be around their uncle, even though, you know, they came and stayed at my house overnight and all kinds of cool stuff. Shit. Yeah. Um, in fact, I kept my niece, my sister's daughter at my house in Texas for about three months, you know, so she could get it back on her feet. And then she turned around when she was getting married to her boyfriend when she said that she was not going to invite my mother because my mother was on my side when it came to the issue of my daughter. What? Yep. And so I wrote her brother because he was the only one who was talking to me at the time. And I wrote him and I said, well, look, this is, I showed him the court order and I said, this is the second time that I've been through this crap. So I said, make of it what you will. But if I'm (laughs) going to be a pariah, y'all are going to know why I'm outcast. And I walked away and I have nothing else to say to them. Wow. Wow. For the average everyday person, there's a lot of trauma in that. I don't mm-hmm. care. There's a lot of trauma. That's not something we're geared for. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, for men in particular, if somebody messes with you, you have a very clear idea. I can either respond in kind, uh, things can get violent, or I can walk away. It's pretty set. It's pretty clear. Yeah. But when you're dealing in situations like this, you know, where almost anything you do can be used against you, that's, eh. you know, so I, I applaud you for your patience. I applaud you for your self-control because, man, oh, my God. Man, I want to get out of this country. <laughs> this is, this, 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 it's just the bottom line because we, okay, we see this and it's, we know that the culture endorses this. Right. And it's for me, it's is miasmic because every time I think about it and having gone through, I know the poison that I'm breathing right now and I can mm. see everybody else breathing this poison. And it's just like I have, I've got to get myself and my children out of here. Now, I don't care if I go to. Hmm? Well, no, go ahead. I don't, finish I don't care if I go to some remote part of Southeast Asia. As <laughs> long as I'm away from here, I'm good. Well, you're travel. You're well traveled, are you not? Yeah, I lived outside of the country about six years. Yeah, so if the average guy says, "Well, I'm thinking of leaving the country," that's one thing. But when you got a brother that's traveled, <laughs> this is not a novel. This is not a guesswork kind of deal. This is not theory. You know yeah. how to get on a plane and live life elsewhere. That's yeah. a, there's a real possibility of that. You know. Yeah, uh, so that's one of the reasons why, like, um, when child support took my license and all this other mess because I did fall, did fall into arrears because I, mm. I did get thrown into the, um, I didn't say thrown in, but I was admitted into the mental hospital. Okay. And of course arrears pile up very fast when you, when you're paying a couple thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So it was just like, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. That's when I started contracting. Okay. So there are ways around this. Um, there are ways to set up financial structures in ways that are self-protective. Yeah. But you just have to know what to do. And I'm not going to go into that because the last thing I need is I'm saying, oh, man, this dude thinks he's getting away with some stuff. Oh, okay. No, that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I do. I, I, I mean, first, I do hope you get custody. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also hope that you're able to clear your head, you know, 
get out the country, breathe a little bit. Um, I do hope so, you know, because man, I I don't even know what to say, brother. You going you you going through some fire. I talked to BGS because BGS had a line on me when um, I think it was the first time I spoke to him on live stream and he called me black pill and I was married <laughs> at the time. And he was like, are you black pill and you married brother. And I, said, <laughs> I said, well, because I mean, the thing about it is I've been divorced twice, Dr. T mm-hmm. and in both divorces, I kept everything that I earned. Right. Both okay. the houses, the whole nine yards, because okay. I set myself up financially that way. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing that we cannot set ourselves up from, and mind you, I was set up for this too, brother. Um, I had a postnuptial agreement. The judge threw that out because of the child abuse allegations. It's how she broke that agreement. Wow. Wow. So, without those allegations, it, we had agreed that I would get the children. We had agreed that um, she would keep her debts. I would keep my debts and the properties, which I owned everything anyway, was all mine. I said, you keep you keep your car and the clothes on your back and I won't put you on child support because I don't believe in that anyway. And how much emphasis was there on evidence when she made these claims about child abuse against you? Was that even was that a major requirement? What? How much emphasis did the court put on that? The court, the first judge, put a lot of emphasis on um, evidence because, and also CPS, the first um, caseworker, put a lot of emphasis on evidence mm-hmm. because there was none. I mean, the child had gone through a forensic examination. She went through the forensic review um, interview. She did everything. She went through multiple forensic interviews. Mm-hmm. They were trying to get down to the bottom of something that wasn't there. And then finally concluded there was nothing there. Mm. Now, when it came to the divorce judge, there was no emphasis put on evidence. In fact, he went against the evidence and decided that if I could, I don't have a transcript in front of me, but he stated that he did not believe it was contrived, Mm. which goes back to the first article that you read about judicial discretion. Mm. He did not believe it was contrived. He didn't care what the first judge or what um, CPS findings were. He believed that I did it because there was something off about me. Here's what? what yep. Something off. He wow. Said, that's how he said it. There is something off about you. Oh, damn. That's the power of judicial authority. And when you're talking about policy, I don't believe in three strike laws coming down from, you know, Washington, D.C. I think states should handle those things. Mm-hmm. However, when it comes to something like this. Judges need to be reined in real then. Right. Right. And if anybody wants to go and look at the case, um, I it's public knowledge anyway. The things that need to be um, needed to be redacted are redacted um i will post the case number for you just so guys will you know know what to look in maryland in the maryland court system mm-hmm. to get an abstract of everything that went on that's how public i am about this wow so i will put it in the chat well let's 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 kind of close on this um tell men 
you know, especially men who, who haven't even started having kids yet, just, you know, and really in the sense of, of you talking to yourself long before this situation, what would you tell someone who hasn't experienced these, these, these things yet um, just to make sure they're protecting themselves as they move through life? What would you tell them they, they need to do? I would tell them to, number one, and this is going to be hard for young men to do because, you know, as young men, our heads all over the place. Mm-hmm. But I think this falls on older men if young men have access to them to arm themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what education, education is more than just becoming enlightened. Mm-hmm. It is arming ourselves against things that the falsehoods that we know are going to take place. We know it's going to happen. So the only way to arm yourself against misinformation is with good information. Right. And so the second thing is the emotional armament. Mm-hmm. BGS talked about um we just talked about how he put his daughter amongst the boys so that, you know, when she was exposed to that puppy love, when she got older, you know, when dudes were running game on her, she was like, eh, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Young men need to be able to resist the whims of young women. And I know it's potent because even though I went through all of this, I am still attracted to women. I can still look at a good looking woman and say, oh, yeah, she's fine. At the same time, I've got experience backing me up saying, yeah, a fine old piece of mess. Mm. So I think I don't think young men are going to go down that route because it takes I think it takes somebody more prodigious in that area to really inculcate themselves with that type of knowledge. Most young men are going to run after the tail like most of us did. Okay. So I think it behooves older men to at least try to protect them as much as we can. Mm. Okay. So the brothers in this space uh, who might meet that qualification of being older, um, what do they need to do differently in your assessment? Well, one thing, one thing we got to do is stop arguing with each other. Get it. (laughs) Get it. Yeah. Yeah. That, because one thing that I really okay, I have this philosophy online about uh, men. I will never chastise a man on how he fought his battle. He fought his battle, whether he won or he lost. It is not for me to judge how he won or lost or what his outcome was mm-hmm. because that was his battle to fight. So the only thing I need to know is that he fought it and that's it. Right. So with that being said, the last thing young men need to see is, yeah, we you can see us debating and having our disagreements. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But let's make sure let's make sure that our arguments are sound, or that it's not a bunch of emotional nonsense. Because frankly, we sound too much like the women in this space <laughs> a lot of the times. <laughs> okay. the stuff that we argue about, it was like, wait a minute, we arguing about that? All right. Right. What, you made that point. That's that's not even germane to what he's talking about. <laughs> that didn't have yeah. nothing to do with him. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. But if you could imagine a young man who was, I guess, in his twenties, or you know, he's in college and he's listening to this and he's you know trying to get his stripes, right. 
she probably look at us and say, "Man, y'all are full of shit." <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, I think, I think the older men need to. Well, I don't know because. I think about Big Brother BGS through a lot of this stuff because they come at him a lot. Yeah. Sometimes BGS sinks down. Other times he's just like, man, go away. <laughs> you know, it's like swatting the fly. <laughs> yeah. um, me, I choose not to engage in that nonsense. I'm like, look, dude, okay, if you want it that bad, go and get it. Right. I'm going to um, I'm gonna put the invitation out if anybody wants to come in and address any of this. Uh, since, you know, Deadset was kind enough to come through with no notice, um, you know, I, I can't expect anything of you beyond what you've already done. You are absolutely welcome to stay. But uh, either way, I think both myself and the audience appreciate you coming up and sharing because you didn't have to. Yeah. And a lot of brothers don't. And, and I think that's actually more of what we need to do is actually be exchanging stories, information, specifics. I just had a brother reach out to me this morning about, you know, some of the things he's going through on his campus. And I'm just, you know, forwarding anything I have on that from my own experiences to anything I've researched that may help him. That to me is what a space for black men needs to be about. We need to be about actually helping one another navigate these kind of systemic issues that most of us find ourselves grappling with. But instead, I think a lot of times what we do is we just kind of say, well, look, you know, I got through it. You know, but yeah. the fact that you're not doing it the way I did, it means you ain't shit. Like we do this kind of thing where, you know, we just kind of thump our chest about how, how we navigated through it. And I'm like, man, that's half the story. Tell us how you navigated through it, but share that. Make sure, you know, make sure, you know, others can benefit. Because yeah. at the end of the day, we're not all going to be able to get the same results on our own. We got to actually be able to, if nothing else, we, even, we haven't even talked about building anything. We're just talking about sharing information. And to me, it seems like that's that's harder to, to do than it really should be, you know. Yeah, our egos get in the way a lot of the time. <sighs> man, I'm like, we ain't got time for that, fellas. This shit, man. Um, but anyway, I put the link out there. Anybody wants to come up and share their story, you know, uh, you know, anything about what I've addressed earlier, you're welcome to. Or we can close it out here. Uh, either way is fine. But I just think there's so much that brothers go through. Uh, you know, that it, it to me, it's, it's worth being able to use this space to uh, to gather information. Uh, that's what drew me to it in the first place. Was mm -hmm. Hearing brothers actually, you know, telling each other stories, you know, about what they've been through and how they got through it. You know, yeah. especially when you start talking about legal issues. But go ahead. Yeah. A lot of times this stuff, like when I was a young man, um, this stuff sounded like fiction to me mm -hmm. because I was like, you know, it can't be that bad. It's, this this. Even for a lay person, it doesn't strike you as right. There is something inherently inherently wrong here that we instinctually know, mm -hmm. but we just, you know, we don't know what to do about it. And if we're not, most of all, if we're not in that situation, it's not within our scope of interest. It's sort of like, you know, I don't care about cancer until I get it. Mm -hmm. I didn't care yeah. about any of these issues until I was in it. I just knew how to prepare for them, which come to find out that wasn't enough. I did not know enough. Mm. I was not prepared for what I went through. Wow. Wow. Let's see. 
And you navigated through it better than than most I've ever heard of. I mean, you talked about the two previous divorces and how you were able to navigate out of that. That's virtually unheard of for me. Yeah, two different states. It was like, but I didn't go around saying, oh, dude, this stuff is easy, man. You need to alpha your way through it. No. (laughs) Nobody, what I, what we, what men usually don't talk about, and this is why I respect the Kofa, what men usually don't talk about is the emotional toil yes that we go through that is the hardest slog mm. the physical stuff or you know the the financial stuff that's okay man i can go and make some more money i could care mm. less mm. but the emotional toil uh, no right we right. ain't gonna sit there and corner and cry about it but <laughs> we looking for somebody to choke to death and there ain't nobody there <laughs> Well, shout out to Growth Talk with Kofa. And like I said, I put the banners up so you can support both of these brothers' uh, work, check their channels out, communicate with them. But what's good with you, Kofa? Peace, Doc. Can you hear me good? Yeah, we can hear you. What's going on, Dad? What's up, bro? Brother, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your story. Um, I'm I'm going live tomorrow. Uh, Doc, you know those two stories you shared with me, how I almost Tory Lane, Javante Davis, myself. Mm. So I did a a part one and a part two slash 2.5. So this is going to be part three. I'm putting a bow on it. Uh So I got some more information to share about that. Um, So the big thing, not just with Deadset, but all of us brothers, like Doc was just saying, we got to start sharing these stories. Mm -hmm. We have to get rid of the shame. I often say, you know, as far as my channel, I'm trying to help men find a positive effort, um, like dead set was saying earlier, if he wasn't kind of apathetic about the situation, he would have lost his damn mind. Right. And and it's sad. You have to take that route with your own children and even have the thought of walking away. But there's so many men that literally was their last option before having to go check into a mental health facility. And, you know, you went to go get help for yourself, but now the court's using that as a, as a reason for you not to have your kids. So it's, it's so many things that we can do as men prior to this. One is, you know, the stereotypical trope of, oh, just pick better. But we have to be Ugh. adamant about vetting these women. But we have to also understand once they become mothers, something I often say in the black community is Jesus, <laughs> then, then black mothers. Yep. then obama and beyonce or whoever <laughs> but it's jesus and black mothers as long as they can as long as they produce the child they can do no wrong a lot of times and mm-hmm. it was just interesting you guys were talking about even the women in your own family would be like well i don't like her i don't like what she did but i understand how she feels as a mother right and you're kind of outcasted from your own family and you sitting there trying to defend yourself um it's just sad, man. I said I was going to start sharing these stories. I try not to do so much salacious red pill content. I often say mm-hmm. I'm talking, I talk about women, but I'm talking to men. But one of the things I decided this week is to start sharing these type of stories and kind of doing reactions to Snapped, the television show Snap. Oh, okay. Okay. And, and Deadly Women, because the bulk of those, both of those shows, 90% of the episodes focus on women who have either deleted somebody, you know, played games with the kids and ended up, you know, harming somebody, those things like that. Um, Cause we have to start sharing these stories. We got to get rid of that shame fellas. Mm. Uh, like, like go in that corner somewhere, cry it out, punch the air, 
and get back in the fight. You're going to have to fight for your kids. And unfortunately, I often ask, why do we have to fight? Because mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to. But because we're in that mm -hmm. position, you give, give it to your last breath. Mm -hmm. But I don't want you to actually, you know, give out right. and, and perish in the pursuit of that. Don't lose your mental health. And if you do have to walk away, because eventually those kids are going to become adults, boy or girl, and they're going to know which parent was actually messed up. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I want to speak to that a little bit mm -hmm. because one of the things that breaks my heart about my own son, especially when I decided I when I came to the conclusion that I had to walk away was what society was going to be expecting. of him. It was going to expect the same thing of him that it expected of me. Self-sacrifice to go out there and, you know, meet the storm, whether it's going to be in the military, whether it's going to be. Um, repairing the nation, whatever the case was, even if it, even if it's just some of the intellectual weight that men have to carry. Mm -hmm. But here's reward for that. Once he has children, and dealing with that woman will be injustice. Yeah, and that's what breaks my heart every time I think about this, and I'm like, damn, my son is about to walk into a maelstrom that he doesn't even know exists. Mm. Yeah. Huh. Wow. that's something we got to remember as as men as well that the women we're dealing with they're raising the next generation right mm -hmm. right so your son's probably walking out there with blinders your daughter's probably walking out with rose tinted glasses until something goes left and i often say as well when things go wrong in the black community a lot of times our women society in general they look for two people to blame the nearest black man and the idea of white supremacy. Mm. The idea of accountability is just almost null and void. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. There's something Patrice O'Neill, my favorite comedian said at one point, he said, you know, it, you, it, you reach a whole nother point the day you realize that your mother was your father's woman. Yep. And when he said that it smacked me out of my chair, you know what I mean? Because we don't, it, that's something you get from your father. That's something you get, you know, from men that are there. But if you haven't had that on a regular basis, it takes a longer period of time for you to realize that, you know, yeah. you'll go through some of the same things your father did and you still mad at him for things that you heard about from your mother. But when you start going through it, you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And you, and, and, you know, you kind of slowly start to realize my woman, what my, my woman is to our child is what my mother was to me. Yep. So what then would, was my father going through? And you have to kind of go through this mental process of, of abstractly trying to figure it out until you actually sit down with him. And now you can engage him man to man as opposed to him being this monster that you grew up angry at. Now you got to you know look at what exactly did you experience? And maybe, you know, not only was your mother involved in a different way than you thought of, but how did these institutions and policies play into this? How much power did she have? How much did, you know, sometimes she could do without even having any animosity for him, but she could make decisions that the court would back that, you know, would put him in a questionable situation and nobody cared. See, all of these kind of things we need to start figuring out much early or earlier than our forties, you know, and that kind of thing. So when Patrice said that, that's what really kind of really smacked me in the face. I'd never heard it that way. Yeah. It, it just boils down to, your mama's a female too. 
Yeah. And I know, um, like, <laughs> I was blessed enough to come up in a two-parent household. My parents are still married. But it was one day me and my mom were talking about something, and I got the, well, I didn't like what she did, but I know how she feel as a woman. Mm-hmm. And it just made me take a step back, and I was like, damn, my mama's just another woman. Like, she's she's my mama, right. but, but damn. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's a smack in the face when that light bulb goes off and that realization kind of sets in. And I found myself leaning on, you know, my dad is more and more as time went on. And it was really when I became a father and he was like, kind of like buckle up. Yeah. And then he shared, he shared more stuff with me than I knew he had been through with my, my older sister's mother, his first, his first wife. Right. Yeah. We got to start trusting each other, man. I think you guys spoke on that as well. We got to start listening and trusting each other, know when to shut up, mm-hmm. know when somebody's pulling your coat. Because I often tell people that's younger than me, I'm like, look, I'm not trying to sun you, but I done been your age. You ain't been mine. And that, <laughs> and that goes for the same thing as men in our 40s. I listen to Doc because he's older. I listen to Kevin Samuels because he was older. I listen to Obsidian because he's older. Just by the fact you got me by, you know, five, ten years, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to take what you say. I'm going to analyze it. Use what's useful. Man, I, I, I used to operate by that, but I had to make a slight adjustment when I really got online and started listening to brothers because I, I started running into cats who were 10 years younger, but they went through hell in ways mm-hmm. that I had not. So I got to the point where it was like, you know what? My respect and you know my willingness to shut up and listen really has a lot to do with wisdom. And who has it and who doesn't? Who's been through like, you know, I don't even know how old Dead Set is, but I tell you, even if he was 34, after all them stories I done heard, we start talking about divorce, I'm gonna shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna ask questions, you know what I mean? But you know, but that to me is what wise men do. You pay attention, you learn, hopefully, from other people. You don't have to go through it yourself, you know, and and you know, study it, ask questions, learn from it. Make sure you approach it differently if you find yourself anything anywhere near anything like this. Um, but you did, did get it right. Fifty two. You're fifty two. Okay, so you mm-hmm. got about you got a few years on me. But mm-hmm. you know, just to be clear, because somebody said in the chat we need to do more than talk. I don't have a problem with that. That's why we have you know policy proposals uh, that we've kind of drafted. That's why I've brought on brothers who have started organizations you know, around actually advocating for men in, in terms of family court and in other areas, advocating for boys in terms of learning and education. It's, it, I'm not suggesting that we only do one thing. We're approaching this on multiple levels from different vantage points. And through this show alone, let alone a number of others that I'm connected to, we've been trying to have this discussion at multiple levels because brothers are at multiple levels. Some yeah. cats haven't even been married, don't even have children yet. Some cats have been divorced and, you know, hell, even in this uh, comment section. There's a couple brothers in their 50s and 60s that are talking about, yeah, I remember that, but I'm checked out now. I don't got to deal with it at all. We got mm-hmm. brothers at every level. And so for the most part, that's where we need to bring this. But, you know, y- y- y'all got to remember, there are cats that are just listening to this kind of stuff for the first time. Walking in the room trying to figure out what we're talking about. But they, they're blessed that they have this space because I don't think me, you, or Dead Set had this type of space to hear it can get, you know, can become an echo chamber sometimes. But I wish I had this many brothers I could have just yeah. picked up a phone and listened to and heard a story from and been like, oh, oh, girl, I'm with is doing this now. Let me make sense of this. 
and then, you know, move a little bit smarter. And I often say that on my channel as well. For the younger guys, my job is to get you smarter quicker. Oh, That's yeah. all I'm here for. Oh, make, yeah. Help you make better choices a little bit sooner than any of us did. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, I usually take umbrage when people say things such as y'all need to do more than just talk. Mm -hmm. Because action takes place at many levels. I talk about I talk about my story, but my story is also talking about the actions that I'm taking. Mm -hmm. And usually when people say that type of thing, uh, I have to pause and wonder where they're coming from, mm -hmm. because number one, it's just an unnecessary thing to say. Mm -hmm. Plank, just to put it frankly, because anything that any society does, especially when it comes to legislation, it starts off with talking. Mm -hmm. Talking is the beginning of action. But sometimes, especially in this situation, when we're telling our stories, it's usually an after action report. Right. So this nonsense about, hey, y'all need to... <laughs> Well, then there's Do a more action and talk. Yeah, there's a lot to be learned because I, you're the first person I ever met that had a post nuptial agreement. I never knew that was something you could do. Oh, you know, man. you're the first person I knew that that because you know we always talk about prenuptial. Right. I hadn't heard of post nuptial. You know what right. I mean? So even and that wasn't even the point of our discussion tonight or in any other night. We mostly talked about the whole you know divorce experience and custody issues, but you just mentioned that. And I, and I remember the first time I heard you say it, I was like, hmm, you know, hadn't really processed that one. That might be something that that helps somebody in a way that, you know, nothing else could have. I mean, if you've never heard of it before, how are you supposed to learn from it? You know, so, you know, these conversations have, have merit. Uh, let me bring in Gavin. Gavin, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you good. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Good. Go ahead and weigh in on this. What are your thoughts? Um... Wow, it's rough. I um just got in from work. I'm guys, I'm here on the uh West Coast along with Dr. Hassan. So you hear me from Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Okay. Right? Right. And um it's interesting, like um, like you said earlier, Dr. Hassan, you know, I'm one of those guys who's in my fifties, don't have kids, mm. came up through single mother, yeah. household, only child. Um, and of course, I'm a 70s baby born in 1970 in New York, mm -hmm. so I watched it all come about. Okay, you know, um, from 70s through the 80s, uh, as a sidebar per se, I remember growing up as a kid in my early days, like I'm talking about in elementary school age, and when it comes to summer vacation. That's when uh, these other single mothers who I didn't know too well, but knew my mom when she would go to the laundromat on the weekends. Now, all of a sudden, they would come to me saying, hey, Gavin, wouldn't you like to uh, have a little baby brother or sister to, like, you know, play with while you're off on, you know, out from school? Hmm. And I already knew the game were trying to run on me, and I should have asked them to their face. Oh, you want me to babysit? How much? And they would look at me like shocked, like I had nerve to ask them that. Okay. When they never once gave me a birthday present, never knew me from Adam throughout the entire year, but only when they wanted something for them, oh, it's like, oh, what I could do for them. Right. 
Right. And then moving forward, it's like this is where I started to see, see see things develop. And it's just in this day and age where we're at now, how pretty much the system just emboldens women into this whole single what I, I sometimes call single mother crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it's and it's a thing when you've grown up watching something come into fruition, um, and and that's always happening. So I want to tell cats who might be a little bit younger, you're already doing that now. Thirty, forty years from now, you're going to be able to see where it's come from now to that point. So you know, because you guys have the benefit of the internet, you got the benefit of these spaces, which you know, a good portion of my life didn't exist. So they this does change the game. You can actually help chronicle where these things are going and make sure that brothers can actually have a sense of how to navigate these waters because, um, you know, it's a much different game when you don't even know it's happening. I've talked to a number of men in my father's generation who could talk about the sixties and the seventies living through it, but they didn't see it Mm -hmm. of what was coming out of it. You know, they Mm -hmm. just were going through it. They were trying to figure it out while it was happening. Mm -hmm. But when you can stand back 30 years later and look at it, I mean, we saw the rise of the family court. We saw the rise of the single black woman headed household. We saw Mm -hmm. when they were going through it, they saw it. They saw bits and pieces of it at a time, but they were also trying to survive. So they didn't have as clear a view. And I'm telling the younger cast now, the same thing is happening now. We just don't know what it's going to mean in 30 years. So chronicle this stuff, get a sense of, of how it came about and be prepared to explain it to the next generation. Wasn't this explained though, but also help towards making legislation because um, Tennessee is right now putting forth a bill to make paternity fraud a mm-hmm. misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Of course, I would like to see it be a felony. Also, the also the fathers who had to pay, well, the men who had to pay child support for children, not theirs, mm-hmm. uh, get reimbursed by the state mm-hmm. for every dime. Uh, also help them because you know with that uh what uh back child support doesn't also you know affect their FICO their credit. I yeah. mean the the punishment mm-hmm. is so widespread. Mm-hmm. Felony uh making uh paternity fraud a felony crime is just the start. Yeah, there's so much uh other ways whereby a man's uh who was wrong has to be righted. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Matter- Matter of fact, I, mean, I noticed another sideboard, but did anybody read the book? I mean, uh, for you, Dr. Hassan, Dead Set, and Brother Growth Talk, who saw the movie Pursuit of Happiness and who also read the same book? Oh, uh, you're talking about uh, Pursuit of Happiness. I know what you're talking yes. about. Um, yeah, I didn't read that book. I saw them film, though. Brother Dead Set? You're talking about Christopher Gardner, is that his name? Yeah, exactly. One where Will Smith played the guy who was. Um, Raise a son, he was also homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I saw the movie, I didn't read the book. Brother Growth? Yeah, same thing. And just watch some of his uh his actual interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I didn't read I didn't read the book itself. Okay. I had a chance to read the book. And it goes into like, okay, of course, more detail. How um if we remember the movie, there were times he was homeless and he was going through with his son, like sometimes sleeping in the train station different areas um 
there were many times he said how he would go to these um homeless shelters or institutions but there were only four single mothers yep. he would show up they would want either turn him away or the one or two that would let his son say he said oh your boy can stay you you can't but you can't huh? yeah right yeah. but that was only the very 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 few right two parts of that book that also uh too well i'll go to with one there was one key information in the book that uh he put in that of course did not make the movie at many times when he was running with his son and moving from place to place let's just say certain women of the evening saw him doing that and when he would gather some money around or whatever to sit down and get his son whatever plate of food and give it to him while he'd be hungry mm-hmm. the women would come in take money from their bra and give it to him wow because they saw on a daily basis this man looking after his kid, his son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this man got support from the one type of woman you wouldn't think he wouldn't. Okay. They're from okay. his own child's mother or the various uh, institutions where they were, okay, female run or led. Mm. Okay. Mm. Okay. Do you remember the uh, the title of the book? Was it the same, Pursuit of Happiness? Yes, Pursuit of Happiness. That's where the title came from for the movie. That's the name of the book by Chris Gardner, Pursuit of Happiness. Cool. That's right. um. I think Cassie J mentioned that. I don't know if anybody saw the Red Pill movie with Cassie J. Mm-hmm. Remember she reported that there was only one shelter for men in the entire United States, and she made that documentary in mm-hmm. what's the early 2000s? I mean, 2010s. Right. Yeah. Which is an issue in certain cities right now where there's this this whole question of, you know, whether or not the undocumented are going to be housed even temporarily. And they're finding that, uh, you know, when it comes to other populations that have been here, that they're not finding that same kind of support, most particularly black men, you know, places like New York, you know, Chicago, these are issues that are still on the table. And these are the things I want us to be thinking about. Um, you know, because they're they're directly affecting us. You know, so I appreciate you guys bringing that up. But I'm gonna go ahead and and ask for closing thoughts. I'm gonna start with Gavin. I'm gonna go to Kofa and then Dead Set on this. Uh, any, anything we've discussed, anything you want to share before we transition out? Uh, Gavin, start us off. Give us your closing thoughts. Uh, closing thoughts. It's just rough, and until legislation's on board to help us get our rights redressed. These type of forums are what I would say are healing mm. a mechanism mm. for men and for the dead sit situation. And for those of us who, like me, to a degree, checked out and just say the juice is just not worth the squeeze. Okay. Okay. And that's it. My, that's my parting shot. Hey, man. Appreciate you coming up, man. Thank you. Uh, Go talk with Kofa. Y'all support the channel. Subscribe to the Brothers channel. Uh, check out the shows. I'm definitely waiting for part three of this. But yeah. uh, go ahead, brother. Talk to us. Give us your closing thoughts. Yeah, so real real, real quick uh, plug for the channel. Growth stands for Gentlemen Reaching Our Wealth Through Healing. So that's the acronym. Uh, to no- tomorrow night, I'm going live at 730 Eastern. I'm in Atlanta, so it'll be Eastern time. But I am going to put a bow on that 
that topic because um, there are there are a few more things that transpired from that situation I was in. Uh, so I'm going to put a bow on that tomorrow. But because of that, my closing thoughts are, brother, share your story. We're all walking around with a story. And I know, you know, we touched on the we got to do more than talk. First of all, we've been assumed as black men that we don't talk. And mm -hmm. so we made that a self-fulfilling prophecy to a lot of things because we're so ashamed of it or embarrassed by it. So we mm -hmm. don't talk as much as we should. So I would argue we need to keep talking because your words are going to become your actions. Then your actions are going to become your habits. Your habits are going to become your character. And I know we're all men of character already standing firm, trying to fight for these kids. And my daughter's an adult. She's 19. But that just because she's grown now doesn't mean I'm, I stop being a parent. Right. Um, but there are little nuances that I'm going through with her that I'll, that I'll eventually share. But um, just share your story, man. That's my biggest takeaway. Share your story. Find a positive effort for yourself. It may be going, um, becoming apathetic. It may be walking away. It may be that next fight. We all are our individual stories, but we're like Doc alluded to. We're all at different spaces along this journey. So that's the biggest part. Share your story because somebody else coming up behind you needs that. Somebody ahead of you, it may spark something in them to remember and they can give you advice. So it's important right. to share, man. That's that's my biggest takeaway from tonight and, and going forward. Share your story, black man. Share your story. Absolutely. And I appreciate you, Doc. Absolutely. That. So, uh, yeah. So, so you said it's tomorrow night? Tomorrow night, 730 Eastern. Uh, watch the replay. I'm going to probably show clips from the previous two videos, but I'm going to talk about my situation and then another situation I found out about for um, another brother. But that's one of the snap, snap episodes. That brother didn't make it. So oh, I, I, I like to walk the timeline of what I went through. And then I'm going to pivot to what I could have ended up becoming, what many of us could have end up, ended up becoming. I like right. to teach through timelines. So it's kind of going to be a two-parter, but I am going to put a bow on my personal story. But I'm going to go into that second story because I think it's extremely important that we talk about both. So I'll be on there for a while tomorrow night. But tomorrow night, 730 Eastern. They said, I appreciate you sharing the story again, brother. Please mm -hmm. keep sharing it. Keep fighting a good fight, but do not forget about yourself. And my, my closing, and I'll slide off, Doc, what I always end with, brothers, you matter. You're not crazy. Make better choices. <laughs> not crazy. <laughs> That's real talk, boy. <laughs> Sometimes you need to hear that. Really? Yeah, I, I try to end it all with that. That's 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 my period to my all my lives, all my videos. <laughs> that's what's up. Uh, all right, man. Appreciate you coming through, man. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. right. Y'all yeah. take care. Out. Yes, sir. Uh, go ahead, brother. Dead set. Talk to us. Give us your closing thoughts. Let people know how to how to how to find you. How to how to hear hear more from you. How to reach out. Okay. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube on. Um, well, the channel's a dead set anime, but it don't deal with anything that I'm talking about here. It's mostly graphics and animation. The dealing with the subject at hand, the only advice that I would leave men with is be ruthless. Mm. I cannot stress that enough. Be ruthless when dealing with when dealing with 
women in this situation. I'm not saying you got to go out there and, you know, do illegal things, mm -hmm. but your thought process has to be ruthless. Mm. I think that's the mistake that we make. And there's, we, when you think about businessmen in, especially in high places or especially the best lawyers on the planet, these guys are, these guys are cutthroat. Mm -hmm. And so while I had this, while I did have this really good spirit of, I guess you can call it black pillness or seeing the world for what it was, I wasn't ruthless enough. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I think once we get to that point, once we get to the point, as Jordan Peterson said, we're supposed to be dangerous. Once we get to that point where we know we're dangerous, I think we'll be better equipped as a group to deal with this mess. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, as you know, you know, uh, brother does said as a, a standing invitation. So brother, you know, if you, if you have any new information you need to share, you already know one place you can come to, to check it out. I mean, so to tell people about it. Now I usually do this the other way around where I do the, what I call the sacred black masculine uh, series before I start the show. This time I'm going to do it the other way around. It just is what it is. There's nothing behind it. Um, but I want you guys to see something real quick uh, that I think should be, it should be at some point how you address your kids, how you, how you talk to them, what you share with them. This brother gives us a great kind of um, example of how to go about making sure your, your, your children know how valuable they are. Check this out. Look at me. Listen to me. Every day. Every day, son, every day, not even almost every day, every day, I literally, literally thank God that you are my son in my life. Every single day, there has not been a day that go by that I do not thank God Cause you and me didn't have to meet each other, man. That's God. Boy, that's so beautiful that we came in each other life. Like you be telling me, I love coming down here. I had the best time. You love what you see. Man, when I showed up in Vegas and you looked at me and you said, I love to see you, Dad. Man, you don't know what you be doing to me. You just make me feel just happy. Happy ain't even a word to it, it ain't big enough. You make me a God. You the reason I'm a God. And in return, I'm going to make you one. Love you, man. Give me some doubt. I love you. Shout out to that brother right there. That's That's... Talk to your son. You spay your children in general, but most particularly let your sons know. You know, let them know. You're laying out the footsteps for them for a reason. Shout out to Ian. I just wanted to say that. Brother's been laying it down in the comments, you know, for I don't know how long now. So I, I really appreciate you, brother. Thank you for that. Shout out to Deadset for coming up. Growth Talk with Kofa for coming up. Um, shout out to the good brother who came through, uh, Gavin, uh, just with, before that or right after that. So appreciate all you brothers. I hope you got something out of the night. If you got something to share, please make sure you do so. Hit the comment section. Let us know 
what you're thinking about. Let us know what's on your mind. But uh, I appreciate y'all, and y'all will be seeing me soon. So y'all have a good one. Peace. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic and selfish and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.